My microphone sounds nice when it's on. Check one. I said my nitty mice sounds nitty nice. Check two. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Rim, the podcast. Hashtag BTR. And today, my guest is Sharon Filia, who you can follow on Twitter at Sharon's Fitness. Sharon is a fitness guru, host of community media programs, national level bodybuilder, NPC pro, and all around diva. Sharon, say hello to the folks out there who happen to be listening. Hello, everyone, and Nestor, thank you so much for having me on your program today. You're welcome, and thank you for agreeing to do this program. This is my second podcast. Sharon, before we get yeah, into, <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited about it too. Cause this is my first podcast that has nothing to do with sports. It's not talking about amateur sports, professional sports. So I'm excited right. about this podcast. But before mm-hmm. we get into the podcast, on your Twitter bio that I just read, it said NPC Pro. Can you explain to the listeners out there just exactly what is the NPC? Right. The NPC um, uh, League is the National uh, Physique Committee. This is the feeder into um, to the IFBB Pro a line, which feeds into the Olympia competition. So um, so becoming pro at the NPC level um, permits you to compete at the national level to become IFBB Pro. Once you're IFBB Pro, then you're online for the Olympia. A little tough to get to the Olympia, but very doable. So I was able to get to nationals. Um, very, very tough road, but, but that's for another podcast, but I'm so happy to be here and talk about what I really have passion about, and that is senior fitness and, um, and all of that, that that is concerned with that. Very good, and yes, again, yes, that will be a future podcast, but in today's podcast that I'm going to entitle Living Well, Getting Old, Finances, and you. How does that sound to mm-hmm. you, Sharon? That sounds wonderful. Now, the four topics that we're going to be talking over today, topic number one is going to be the physiological changes that occur with aging beginning at the age 25. Yes. Second topic, yes. indicators of living to 100 years plus. Third topic, mm-hmm. financial, social impact of these changes. And fourth topic, exercise social financial strategies to assist in the offset of said changes. So topic number one, physiological, um, physiological changes that occur with aging beginning at age 25. Take it away, Sharon. Yes. <laughs> one of the things um, that happens is um, a process of is called sarcopenia. Now, this differs for everyone. For some people, sarcopenia starts at age 25, for others, age 30. This is a progressive loss of skeletal muscle. It happens to everyone. As you approach 65, 70, 75, 80, there becomes um, a more accelerated, um, a more accelerated loss of skeletal muscle. So sarcopenia, quite simply, as I explained, is a loss of skeletal muscle. So you may notice as you approach 40 or 50, you, you might say, oh, you know what, I can't bend down as easily as I could. Hmm, why am I aching so much more? Why is this moving around so much more difficult? These are, this can be attributed in part to this issue of sarcopenia. And exercise can help offset that or to slow it 
down, to slow it down. You can never eliminate it, but you can slow it down greatly through exercise. So let me just um, kind of tell your listeners how sarcopenia sort of kind of, uh, kind of proliferates. For example, after 40, you need glasses, right? A lot of times it's called presbyopia. So what happens is, like, for example, the iris of the eye is actually a muscle. In, the, in your mid-40s, it loses its ability to sort of, you know, focus in and, and kind of move the way it did, expand and contract. So what happens is you have to hold, um, you know, a text farther away from your face in order to read it. This is due to the, uh, to the progressive inability of the eye to focus. This is a result of sarcopenia. Um, also, um, sometimes you hear about people, their jaw, um, they have like teeth grinding and, you know, they, this, this occurs after age 40. This occurs also because of sarcopenia. The TMJ joint, the muscles of the jaw, they start to kind of deteriorate and this causes grinding. Now, so Sharon, these are just a, Sharon, I didn't mean to cut you mm-hmm. off, but I just had a yes. question. With the teeth grinding, yes. I always associate teeth grinding it, um when folks are doing that while they're sleeping. So is this yes. is this a phenomenon while only while you're sleeping, or can some folks generally well, just grind their teeth you know, throughout the day? Throughout the day. Okay, so okay, now I'm not an expert, but, but from what I understand, I just like to preface this by saying I am not a medical doctor. At, at night, your muscles are destabilized. So what this means is that any issues that you have with laxity is going to kind of... Um, come to the floor at night because you're very relaxed. So the teeth grinding that occurs at night, which once again, as our muscles get a little bit weaker, this comes more to the floor. So when you're asleep and you're relaxed, the tendency is to grind because because the muscles now have laxity in them. There are exercises, this is a topic for another show as well, there are exercises that one can do to even offset um, teeth grinding, and there are some dentists and orthodontists that, that, that can provide that type of information. But once again, this all goes back to this idea of sarcopenia and muscle loss. So that's why um, exercising, uh, weight, weight-bearing exercising, cardiovascular uh, 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 type of uh, regimen is vitally important. It is not an option. It is a necessity. Very good. Continue, please. Well, um, I'm trying to think of, well, with, going along with the sarcopenia, what's even more disturbing is this loss of leg strength. So one of the indicators, and we're going to talk about that in the next segment, of living to 100 is thigh strength. So with sarcopenia, all the muscles, the skeletal muscles start to lose mass and strength. So that stands to bear that as your thighs lose strength and skeletal muscle, you're more prone to fall. Now you can start shuffling more. Now, now this is, of course, if you're not doing, if you're very sedentary and you don't do anything. By the time you approach 70, 75, 80, 85, all these years of incremental skeletal muscle loss are going to push you to critical mass where all of a sudden you're not walking so well anymore. And you don't know why. It's because of sarcopenia. So this is why, you know, when I teach my classes and, you know, sometimes people say, oh, it's so difficult, you know, I try to express that, you know, this, this is not an option. It can be an option at 15. At 75 or 80 years old, exercise is not an option. 
it is essential to keep your quality of life so that you're able to be to be self-reliant you're, you're able to walk where you want be able to move the way you want it i just found um throughout teaching that keeping the legs strong having a little bit of shoulder strength it can help you offset losing your balance and falling whereas if someone falls and they have osteoporosis and sarcopenia they might break a pelvis as opposed to someone who's in fairly good shape and might just have a black and blue mark. So exercise, <clears throat> excuse me, exercise is, um, is key to, um, to try to maintain wellness throughout your life. So now, in your opinion, again, yeah. again, we know mm-hmm. that you are not a medical doctor and you do not profess to be one. But for all, right. our, but for all our older listeners out there, in your opinion, mm-hmm. is there an age, is there such thing as I'm too old to start to exercise now? Um, that's actually a very good question. And it's, it's a very loaded question, so let me answer it this way. Um, when you go to the doctor, there are issues that have first priority. The first, the first couple of priorities are the heart and the lung, heart and lung function. So if you, irrespective of age, if you have issues with your heart or if you have issues with your lungs or if you have a chronic illness like cancer, diabetes, um, HIV, anything like that, those issues must be addressed first. So barring any other medical issues, there is no um, age where one needs to stop or like, like um, um, to answer your question, if you're 99 to say, okay, I'm 99, I can't exercise. No, that's not true at all. However, the qualifying statement for that is barring any other significant medical issues, you can exercise at any age. Gotcha. Very good. Mm-hmm. Here with my guest, Sharon Filiard at Sharon's Fitness. And Sharon, is this a good time to uh, go into uh, part two, uh, indicators of living to 100 years plus? I think it is. Okay. Why don't we do it? Okay, we're going to do that right <laughs> We're going to do that right after the break. So we're going to go into a break, and the break is going to be one of Sharon's fun fitness tips that could be seen on the internet. So right after, so on the other side of the break, we're going to get into indicators of living to 100 years plus. Nesta Dudley, Sharon Filiar, we'll be back right after the break. Hi, this is Sharon from Sharon's Full Body and Fitness Workout here with my fitness tip of the day. After you finish exercising, it's a very good idea to eat something, preferably a uh, protein-infused snack. This can be something as simple as chicken or a protein drink. Sometimes people, like myself, just like to have a banana. When you exercise, your blood sugar drops a little bit and you need to recharge. So by having something to eat after you finish exercising really helps. Now, when you have a protein snack or after you finish exercising, this actually helps the muscle rebuild stronger. So that's our tip for the day and I'll see you next time. Back after the break, after fun fitness tip 
bum Sharon. Yes, tonight is Sharon's. There we are at Sharon Fitness. And we're going to the next segment of this podcast. The entire podcast, Living Well, Getting Old, Finances, and You. Part two, indicators of living to 100 years plus. Take it away at Sharon's Fitness. <laughs> Thank you, Nestor. Well, before we get into um, into the actual data and, you know, the World Health Organization, their indicators, i just like to mention for your listeners a few of the indicators I have noticed because I teach hundreds of people a week in all my classes and my senior classes, and I'd like just to mention a few of the trends that I see. One of them is, uh, people who, who tend to live to the age of 100 and beyond usually always eat dinner at about 2 p.m. They eat their heaviest meal in the middle of the day. So um, by the time, you know, 7 or 8 o'clock comes around in the evening, they may have a small sandwich, a bowl of cereal, you know, some yogurt or something, but their major meal generally is eaten in the middle of the day in the middle of the day. The second one that I've noticed is this one. You may be interested in this one, Nestor. Um, married men and men with partners seem to live longer than gentlemen who are single. Whoa. Um, I, yes. Um, from what I understand, I haven't read this personally, <clears throat> but a doctor actually uh, said that there is data to back up this point, but this is something that I have noticed. Um, I believe what happens is that when you have a partner, and you don't have to be married, you, can, you might just have a significant other. What happens is you, you kind of feed off of each other. So, so let's say you, you may be walking kind of funny. Your partner may say, oh, you know, I think something is wrong. I think you should go to the doctor. I don't like your coloring. It looks a little off. So what happens is when you have a partner um, and, out, and quote, unquote, outside eyes, they're going to encourage you to kind of take care of yourself a little bit more than you would um, on your own. Now, this is for men. For women, women tend to have a network of friends. Even women in their 90s and, you know, 100, they have girlfriends. And your girlfriends, the girlfriends tend to kind of take the place of a partner. For men, men do not have that same network. So what I have seen, men who are married, and I have had people in my classes who are married 70-plus years, these men tend to fare better. I always make a little joke. I can always tell a man if he is married or has a girlfriend because his clothes smell like fabric softener. <laughs> <laughs> and the men who are single uh, don't. don't smell. So they don't smell like fabric softener. <laughs> Well, okay. well, a little facetious, and this is facetious, a little facetious remark on 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 my part. If you can tell the difference between uh, uh, a single male and a male who is married or or have a significant other, how does that correlate to the grayness of their hair? <laughs> so, uh, oh, sing- <laughs> so do single you know men? So, so do single men have less gray hairs? <laughs> no, you know, no. It's kind of interesting. I haven't noticed that, but I will tell you. The men who are married, and this is, I'm, I'm looking at people who are maybe 90 plus, they tend to be more hydrated, they have better color in their face, they eat better, um, overall they just look good, they just look better. 
men who are single tend not to take, I don't know, they don't tend to, to I, I tend to see more dehydration, um, they're just not mentally stimulated as much, I see more of a dementia aspect. Um, like I said, these, these uh, points that I'm mentioning right now are not backed by data, just by my own personal empirical view of, of the classes that I have taught. Well, I'm going to take your view seriously, and uh, I just got myself—I <laughs> I just got myself some bottled water. I got to keep myself hydrated because. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue, please. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Okay, so um, and trying to think um, because I, I have some notes here. So um, the eating at 2 p.m. Oh, this is another thing. I don't know if this is also uh, supported by data. People that I talk to who are close to 100, a lot of them drink red wine. Not a lot, mm-hmm. but just a tiny bit with dinner. Uh, once again, this is not this is not something that I have read. Something that I have observed. Um, another um, aspect is that they they seem to be at peace. They seem to be happy. They have friends. Um, they're constantly going out. They laugh a lot. Um, well, I know for seem... I know for a fact, mm-hmm. or at least I think I know for a fact that red wine has a lot of antioxidants in them. Okay, that makes sense then. Okay. Yes, okay. yes, okay, okay. Yes. and I'm certainly and, um, and I'm certainly no medical mind, but I've I've read, so that's what I've read. So, okay, and the and the other part that they all tell me is living to one hundred takes a little bit of luck. And I asked one man, and he is actually turned 101 this past March. Congratulations and, to him. Yeah, and I said, he's a wonderful man. And I said, well, 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 what do you mean luck? He said, well, you know, Sharon, I was lucky enough not to be in a car accident. I was lucky enough not to, not to you know, hurt myself at my job. And I said, oh, luck. And he said, yeah. He said, I just happened to just be able to stay out of trouble. And I said, okay. So that's another aspect as well. Now, I think um, at this point I can get into um, what the World Health Organization um, has, um, has indicated as being some of the points or some of the, um, some of the, uh, uh, some, some of the common denominators of those living to 100. One of them is not smoking not smoking. Now, there are people who say, well, I know someone who smoked three packs a day and they live to be 182. That is the anomaly. That is the anomaly. For the most part, lung cancer and, um, and cellular changes in the lungs are attributed to some sort of smoking. If, if you worked in areas where there, there have been pollutants, um, but 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 not smoking is one um, is one that the World Health Organization uh, points out as one of the indicators of living to 100. The other one is omega-3 fatty acids. Um, so eating fish, uh, fish oil, the, these type of things um, as well um, aids to or assist in living to 100. Um, the other one is um, what many of your listeners might not know is healthy telomeres. Now, for those of you who aren't science gurus, telomeres are the protective um, coating, if you will, on the ends of your chromosomes, um, of, of, of the DNA portion of the chromosome there. So what happens as we age, 
the tails of the chromosome start to deteriorate a little bit. And this is a direct correlation of your, of your longevity. So having healthy telomeres helps to slow down the aging process. And now more research is being done into this aspect of aging. So they found that people who live to the age of 100 tend to have less telomere, T-E-L-O-M-E-R-E, deterioration. And, of course, this is something that is genetic. This is not something you can, you know, take a supplement. Can I have a supplement for, you know, telomere? No. This is something that's (laughs) in you. (laughs) And, and And so in terms of that, you can look to your family. How long did my great-grandparents live? How long did my uh, grandparents live? Is there a history of cancer in the family? So what happens is after a certain age, genetics start to kick in, and this is something that in a large part we have no control over. Now, we can control, of course, what, what it is we do, but when you get to the cellular level um, and genetics, at this point, you know, a lot of it, I, I guess, I guess is kind of luck-driven, too. You know, we're kind of dealt the cards that we are. Now, um, what, the now other, what age, mm-hmm. quickly, what age does genetics start to kick in? Well, genetics kicks in your entire life. Okay, However, okay. Um, okay, I'm not a doctor, okay. but this is what, from what I see. Once you get to be about 70, 70, 75, this is when genetics, your lifestyle, um, probably for lifestyle, probably can kick in even earlier depending on how much you abuse alcohol and tobacco. But about 70 to 75 is where you see genetics start to really kick in, okay. you know, in terms of cancer and things like that. Uh, once again, um, it's sort of luck of the draw, um, specifically, you know, we're talking about, you know, the uh, telomere um, attrition. Um, that's something that, that one cannot control. However, the good news is that things like thigh strength, which is also an indicator of living to 100, that's something that, that we can kind of, you know, work on a little bit. Um, and, you know, as, as with exercise and walking and, and changing your eating habits and all of that. So, um, so, so these are just a few of the indicators. There are many, many more. The World Health Organization takes into account, um, um, you know, malaria, tuberculosis, um, access to family planning, all these other things that are a global issue. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to kind of keep this a more, a tighter, um, a tighter number um, of, 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 um, of indicators to living to 100. But there are probably well over 100. Okay, very good. Continue, please. Um, so um, getting back to the eating um, issue, from what I have observed, so this is another observation, um, there is a pullback on the red meat, a pullback on that. So based on, on my little empirical, you know, uh, interviews with, you know, with, with folks who were, you know, 100 or 100 plus, they may have some meat, um, but, but there's a heavier base of fish, um, you know, fruit vegetables, um, things like that, less, you know, fast food, although there's one gentleman, <laughs> he's 94, all he does is eat his junk food. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> however, 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 for the most part, um, what I find is that 
these people who live to 100 have a very, very strict eating regimen. They generally eat the same thing every day. So, for example, if someone has um, peanut butter and jelly sandwich every day at, at 7 p.m., that's what they do every day. They don't say, oh, I think I'm going to try this squid that I've never tried before. They don't do that. They stick to a very, very strict eating regimen. They, they eat the same amount, the same time, every day, day in and day out. They don't vary from that. And I think it's because, once again, we talked about sarcopenia in the first segment. This extrapolates to your digestive tract as well. So this is why people have more issues with, with like, you know, diverticulitis, reflux, because, because the peristalsis of the, um, of the, um, of the intestines is also muscle driven, right? And by nerves and everything. So this deteriorates over time. So it's harder. It's much more difficult for the body to digest foods. So it stands to reason that if you kind of introduce kind of strange things, this might cause a stress on the system. So it's much easier and safer to stay with foods that, that, that sort of work for you. Very good. So, wow, very interesting. And that 94-year-old mm -hmm. gent the 94-year-old gentleman oh, up there who was he eating, eats every, who, who, uh, who is eating mm -hmm. the junk food and, you know, I'm... <laughs> I am I am not endorsing eating junk food, especially after at Sharon Fitness just hit me to it. But I am endorsing for that ninety four year old. You keep on doing what you're doing, brother. Yeah, he was he was actually present at Pearl Harbor, so it's a very interesting narrative that he gives. He was there December seventh, nineteen forty one, um, and he he told me he saw the kamikazes come overhead and. He wasn't on the USS Arizona. Um, he was actually, you know, um, on shore. But but he said it was. I think he said it was like four or five in the morning. And he said I was there. So it's very. I hear these very interesting stories. That's also a topic for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Sharon, is this a good spot to uh, take a break and go into a third part, which is uh, financial I, social impact on yeah. these changes? I, I think so. It sounds like a great time to take a break. Okay. So once again, my guest, Sharon Filiar at Sharon's Fitness. And we are going to go into another fun fitness tip from Sharon Filiar. See you at the end of the break. This is Sharon from Sharon's Full Body and Fitness Workout here with my fitness tip of the day. Hydration. Remember to drink water before, during, and after your workout. Why? Well, when you get dehydrated, this causes a, short, a sort of break in your electrolytes and can cause your heart to flutter. This is very, very common if you're even slightly dehydrated. So when you feel a slight flutter, generally when you're working out, this means that you need to drink more water. Of course, if this continues or it's a problem, see your physician immediately. But remember, drink water. Bring a bottle with you to the gym and do this before, during, and after your workout. Well, that's our fitness tip for the day, and I'll see you next time. And how was that work for a Sharon's Fun Fitness tip? Right now, Nesta Dudley back with Sharon Filiar. And today's topic, living well, 
getting gold, finances, and you. Sharon. Thank you, Nestor. <laughs> part three, financial, social impact of these changes. Take it away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This, this really, um, I hold dear to my heart. This is why I teach so furtively the way I do, because I want people to stay independent. This, this, in a nutshell, is the link. The healthier you are, the more self-reliant you are, the less money you have to spend, the less, the less hoops you need to jump through to qualify for this program or for that program. So let me just sum it up this way. When I teach class, one of the muscles that we target is called the psoas major. So people might say, well, what's that? The psoas major is a muscle that's in the top part of the thigh and part of the hip flexor that keeps you ambulatory, that is, allows you to walk. When you see people shuffle, they shuffle around, they they can't navigate steps, it is due to a shutdown of this muscle and part of this muscle. So when you have a shutdown of the psoas major and you're shuffling, this opens up a Pandora's box of issues that can occur. The first of them is falling. Once you fall, um, it's not the fall that gets you per se. It's, it's what happens as the result of a fall. You may bang your head, or what they may call comorbidity. You may have um, a cerebral hematoma as a result of the fall. You may, you may contract pneumonia in the hospital because you were in the hospital due to the, due to the skull fracture because of the fall. So by targeting certain muscles um, in your exercise regimen can extrapolate to saving money, staying self-reliant, and staying in your house as opposed to going into rehab, long-term care, all these other issues that are, and if you're on Medicare uh, and uh, Medicaid, specifically Medicaid covers long-term disability issues in in the elderly. These are waters that are very difficult to navigate if you don't have perhaps a shine counselor, a member of your family who knows the ins and outs of, you know, of, of, of getting into rehab and nursing homes and assisted living, all these things. So that's why I tell people, you don't have to kill yourself in the gym, but there is a link to being fit, to being physically fit and staying financially fit. Hmm, I'm just uh think about everything that you said. That's uh yeah, you know, that's very interesting, you know. I mean I'm uh I've been in the gym all my life and well, most of my life. It'll be you know, be realistic. And up until the past ten years, I'm like, you know, my attitude is, you know, was I gotta kill myself to be in this gym because <laughs> you know, because <laughs> Because I have because right. cer- I have certain goals when I go to the gym. Now I never yeah. I, I can honestly say that I've never thought about my future years and wellness in terms of seventy five yeah. years and plus. I'm nowhere near. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm nowhere near seventy five years old. But I also know right. that time flies. One day I will be yes, there. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes. And and what's so you know? Okay, so this next portion I'm going to preface once again by saying. This is what, this is my opinion, this is what I have observed, this is what I have heard. Um, Sometimes uh, with seniors, I've spoken to people and they've they've had an injury and they've been sent to a rehabilitation facility. Um, 
from what I understand, before they release you, they test you out. So this is what that means. They have a series of um, they have a series of uh, tests that they give you to determine whether or not you are capable of um, of you know living outside of the rehab facility. One of them is walking. So they'll say, okay, we need for you to walk unassisted the length of this hallway. And if you are unable, they deem that a risk and they will keep you in. So um, in my classes, and the I walk- actually... And obviously, the longer uh, they keep you in, the more money it's costing you. Exactly. Okay. So in my classes, I actually um, give the participants, I give them the top three exercises to do that they can do in a wheelchair. I say these are the three exercises that, that you should do if you are incapacitated for longer than two days. Now, once again, barring any other higher priority issues. So obviously, if you have a heart arrhythmia, you have heart issues, no, you cannot exercise. Your heart and lungs come first and chronic illnesses. However, if barring those other issues, you are capable of doing, and I give them three exercises to do, I said, even if you're seated, when you stand up, even if you shuffle for just a couple of steps, the muscle groups that that we target with these three exercises, you'll be able to ambulate well enough to be able to be discharged. Um, But it's very interesting because, you know, because because both you and I are nowhere near 75. So these are things that you don't really think about. But staying in shape saves you money. Staying in shape keeps you in your home. And um, once again, you know, talking to different people, um, some people, when they go into assisted living, they sign over their home. So say your home is worth $1 million. You sign over the home, and then out of that fund comes the monthly uh, maintenance cost to keep you in the facility. Once that runs out, um, generally, you are switched over to a state, uh, state-funded facility, state-funded facility, or um, I'm not sure exactly how it works. However, once that money runs out, and you, and obviously, you know, you're, you know, you're still living, then, then you know, basically, the house is gone because because you signed the house over, and they can shift you to like say a state-run um, facility that may not be as nice as the private one you were in. So what I tell people is. You know, keep yourself, you know, in pretty much good shape. Stay in your own home. If you need to hire someone to come in and help you, um, that, that to me is a better option. Once again, barring any serious illnesses where you do need someone to come in or, or you do need to be in a facility, I'm not talking about those, those type of people. I'm talking about just generally speaking, um, you know, if you maintain your health and you and you are in reasonably reasonably good health, you can walk. These are ways that, that you can kind of save money. You know, you can you can stay in your own home, and you know it's it's very serious. I've spoken to people who say I'm about to be kicked out, and I say, well, I don't understand. I say the money ran out from my home. It's over. They're going to kick me out, and they're panicked. They're panicked. So this is what gives me the impetus to teach and to continue to expand my fall prevention program because there is a real need for people to have to have something to hold on to where they can maintain their viability 
maintain their independence, feel as though that they're being proactive in their health in a great way. And there's a real need for folks to get the message that you just put out there. I mean, just to think, yep. you yep. retire, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you're, you're a senior person in need of yep. um, home care. So you yep. sell your house or you, you know, you write up against your house. Your million dollar, the example you use, your million dollar house is gone. So you're in mm-hmm. that facility for mm-hmm. X amount of time. Now your money right. runs out and your money runs yep. out. So they're going to put you in a state run facility. So just yes. the, so just the stress level alone, and we all know that stress yes. affects health. So just the stress yes. stress level alone from these senior citizens, knowing that their yes. money has run out and they're going to a state-run facility, and then we all yes. know in the political climate that we live in from time to time, certainly the political climate that we're living in now, when you yes. go to a state facility of anything, mm-hmm. you're liable for yes. cuts, cuts. So once you yes. are so once you are out of the private sector in terms of I sold my home, I'm in this facility mm-hmm. that's going to take care of me mm-hmm. for until my money runs out. So once you yeah. so once your money runs out, then you are really you are really in deep doo doo. Well and, and also um I'd like to also say um I'm not placing the blame on anyone who works in a state run facility. Generally you know, the people who do the day-to-day, you know, these wonderful CNAs um, and the nurses that, that, that tend to these patients, many times they are overloaded with work. I mean, they, I've heard of cases where one CNA can have 20 patients. And that's just too this, much. And that's just too much. It's too much. So yeah. what happens is there, is there can be a compromise in care. Now, this has nothing to do with the CNA. Uh, he or she is working the best they can in the amount of time that they have, but they have to be able to move through these patients at a, at a certain clip, right? Um, and it's and it's too much. So, so what I've seen and what I have, once again, this is just my opinion, are that many many of the employees are overworked. Um, they don't have enough time, and they're they're underpaid, you know. So, so this this is a real issue. So this segues back to making fitness a priority. Do, now, of course, there are certain issues that are that are just out of our control. You know, you get cancer of the pancreas, whatever things happen. But I'm talking about trying, just trying to be proactive to the point where you're doing everything you can everything you can to keep yourself ambulatory, to keep yourself moving, socially active. And the social aspect is also, you know, we'll talk about that. The social aspect is another important component of aging well. Having friends, being happy, um, going out, laughing, even arguing about politics, anything that keeps you mentally stimulated. The worst thing you can do is stay home sit at home alone and watch television all day. The worst thing you can do, you know, get out, do things. There's a lady at one of the, uh, one of the facilities where I teach, she's uh, 94. The woman is always on the move. She's always <laughs> taking a trip. She's with her girlfriends. They're going out to lunch. They're doing this. They're do- and the woman is so happy. A beautiful smile every time I see her. And just, just wonderful, wonderful quality of life. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, well, good for it's that. It's deep. <laughs> <laughs> it is deep. I was just going to say good for that uh, 94-year-old woman. Um, yes. This, yes. You no, know, mm-hmm. this this segment 
I mean, this whole topic, this whole topic that the show we're doing today, living well, getting old, finances, and you. Mm -hmm. But so far, topic mm -hmm. three has been the deepest topic and the topic that's most going to resonate with me well long after this podcast, well after I listened to this podcast multiple times. <laughs> so yeah. um, is this mm -hmm. a good segue to go into um, the fourth segment, Sharon? Um, I get, Yeah, I think so. And I, I just like to add very quickly. Okay. Take, um, take your time. More, take take your time. Okay. The more self-reliant um, a senior can be, the less stress there is on the immediate family. What happens is um, it's not just the senior that is affected. It's their children. It's their grandchildren. All the people who love you, if they're worried about your quality of life, they are stressed. Out. I see it all the time, all the time. I've had, I've had daughters call me, and they say, thank you so much for getting my mother to exercise or my father to exercise, because this, this alleviates just a tiny bit of stress, because as children, um, you know, or grandchildren of seniors, all of us are worried about getting that phone call that something happened. And we're constantly, we have like, like this low grade of anxiety about that, right? So, so, when, so when someone in your family who's a senior is really taking an, like a proactive role to keep themselves fit, this reduces the stress and the dynamic of the entire family, of the entire family. And I think that's something that people don't kind of think about. I'm just sitting here with my mouth open, all this knowledge that you're dropping. <laughs> you know, and again, I see a lot, Nestor. I see a lot. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh, I'm very thankful that you were able to um, do this podcast. Um, so, um, of course, yes. If there's not anything else that you want to continue with this topic, would it be a good segment to go to the next? Sounds good. Let's do it. Okay, we have one more fun fitness tip from at Sharon's Fitness for you and we'll be right back on the other side of the break. Hi, this is Sharon from Sharon's Full Body and Fitness Workout here with my fitness tip of the day. If you're just beginning to lift weights, don't use free weights. Use the machines at your gym. The machines at the gym lock in your form and you're less likely to injure yourself. If you just start lifting free weights and you're not exactly sure what to do, you can really cause more harm than good. Your form has to be exact, your hand positioning, all of that which is very important. So to be on the safe side, stick with the machines, take your time, and go at a nice weight that you can handle. So that way you won't injure yourself. Okay, that's our tip for the day, and I'll see you next time. Back after that fun fitness tip from at Sharon's Fitness. Now on to our fourth and final segment of this podcast. This podcast, which is living well, getting old, finances, and you. Segment four, exercise, social, financial strategies to assist in the offset of said charges. At Sharon's Fitness, take it away. Yes, so this segment is actually going to be a little bit more fun to talk about, hopefully. So remember a little bit earlier in the podcast, we talked about this idea of sarcopenia. So every decade, starting at around 25, 30, 
we lose between generally 3 to 5% of our skeletal muscle mass each decade. So one of the ways, or actually three of the ways to offset it, is to have an exercise regimen including these three areas. The first one is flexibility. From my observation, when seniors have difficulty walking, I always tell them your first line of defense is stretching. Many times a person's walking can be compromised because of tight muscles, specifically the quad or the thigh, the hamstring, and a lot of times the calf. Muscle flexibility is the first of three um, areas where a senior should really have a good exercise regimen. The next one is weight-bearing training. Now, this is, has been talked about many in many, many different uh, forums. Now, you don't have to bench press 500 pounds. However, there's something called Wolf's Law, and this is what, this is what it entails. The, your bones, or rather your muscles, uh, your muscles react to the stressors that are placed uh, upon them. So what that means is this. The more, the more stress that your muscles and your bones, I'm sorry, Wolf's Law applies to bone mass, sorry. The more stress that is applied uh, or more uh, weight that is applied to um, the training for your bones, the bones will proliferate, they're called oocytes, to accommodate this new stressor. So let's say you're lifting five pound weights and you, the first time you do it, you're like, oh, this is so difficult. When you finish the workout, rest a couple of days and come back, the bones are going to adjust so that they can adjust to this new stressor. So the second one is weight-bearing training. Weight-bearing training, very, very important, particularly if you suffer from osteopenia or osteoporosis. The third is cardiovascular training. This is um, basically exercising the heart. People who have heart issues um, and they have to, you know, see a cardiologist, they will give you something called a stress test. And the stress test where they hook you up with all these electrodes and everything, and they have you start walking on a treadmill. What the cardiologist will do is gradually increase the incline of, of the treadmill to see how well your heart adjusts to this new stressor. If there is a spike, let's say, let's say your heart rate is at 88, and then the cardiologist adjusts, adjusts the treadmill, you know, it, you know it sets, he, he or she sets the incline up higher. If it goes from 88 to 150 very quickly, this is a very, very bad thing. This means your heart um, is, not, is not healthy enough to really have a nice gentle acclimation to this new stressor, the, um, the increase in the, um, in the incline. What the cardiologist wants to see, 88, 95, 105, 110. You want to see a nice gentle sloping upward of your, of your, um, of your respiratory rate. So by doing cardiovascular training helps your heart to readily adjust to different stressors more readily. So this is why activities like walking, I never advocate running. I think it places too much stress on the joint. Walking is a wonderful exercise. However, you must walk at a clip that forces your heart to work a little bit. Okay. You should, the test is this, you should be able to still 
say a few words. You shouldn't be walking at the pace where you're panting and kind of doubled over, nor should you be walking slow enough to hold a full conversation. You should be walking at a pace that's fast enough where if someone says, are you okay, you can say yes. So I actually use that test in my classes. Um, I'll walk around, and if I see someone and they look as though they're having trouble, I will have them give me a verbal confirmation. I'll say, are you okay, Miss So-and-so? If they say, yes, I'm fine, I know they're okay. If someone cannot verbally uh, respond to you, this is a sign that they may be in distress. So just to recap, the three um, components of this trifecta that is necessary for a good exercise regimen is one, flexibility training, two, weight-bearing training, three, cardiovascular conditioning. In terms of walking, Sharon, is there a, a minimal distance or time that one should walk, or does that really depend on the individual? Yes, it depends on the individual. It's very interesting. There's a gentleman in my class, um, he just turned 96. He walks five miles a day. Good for him. Now, his, yeah, now his girlfriend is 75. She can't keep up with him. Now, this gentleman has been walking five miles for a very long time. So, so to answer your question, yes, it depends on the person. And what you do is you start incrementally. So, so what that means is, let's say, you know, you're, you're 75 years old and you, you never really walk too much. You start by walking a quarter of a mile, maybe one lap around the track and see how you feel. Your heart rate should be elevated for that. I mean, you can go online and look up the ranges for your heart rate. But for 75, taking an educated guess, don't take me at gospel on this, you might want to have your heart rate at about maybe 125, 130. And then you walk the quarter of a mile and then you rest. And then you come back in a couple of days and see if you can walk a quarter of a mile plus another half a lap. So there's this nice, gentle, uh, um, like, incremental acclimation that should occur. So when you hear about people getting really sick or having a heart attack, generally it'll be someone who'll say, oh, you know what, I'm going to run 10 miles on the treadmill today, and they've never run before. This is very, very dangerous. So that's why the older you get, the more incremental your exercising should be, including walking. So you just kind of see where you sort of fit in, and you can even keep a log of how long you've walked and the distance, and try to do a little bit better each time. But remember, the test is you should still be able to speak and not feel as though you're about to keel over. That's actually a bad thing. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're kind of doubled over, I think you've done a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and the, the example of the, of the young gentleman who, who is 90-something years old and his, and, his yes. lady, and his lady friend is 70-something years old, uh, is that a yes. case? Is that a case of a May December romance? <laughs> uh, at, yeah, I, I never pry. I never pry. But, but this, but this particular gentleman, um, it, I tell you, is is not the anomaly. I see a growing number of of of, of seniors in their 90s and past 100 who are really active. It's it's very inspiring. But once again, this is incremental. They've been doing this for a while. Um, and, and then conversely, or rather alternatively, you might have someone who's 65 
who, you know, couldn't keep up with, with the 96-year-old because, because they never exercised before. So it's very important to listen to your body, to listen to your body. So, so part of my template in my fall prevention uh, class is that I never push anyone because there's such a spectrum of abilities. I don't know if there's a pre-existing condition. I tell people, do what you can um, and then stop. When you come back to the class, see if you can do a little bit more. And because I incorporate that into the template of the class, people feel comfortable coming to class and trying. There's no judgment in my classes. You do what you can, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and Sharon, as I'm looking up, we are winding down. We're running out of time. Oh, so, no. So, yes, oh, my goodness. So, yes, so this time has certainly flown by, but, you know, I have you... On the record, you were the first one that said this is time for, or this is a subject for a future podcast. So I have you on it the is. record. Yes, I got you on the record. So I got you on the record. <laughs> <laughs> so I got you on the record saying that you are willing to do future podcasts. And for that, I am grateful and thankful. Yes, and I just like, like to add one more thing um, in terms of exercise. One of the other most important points, in addition to the three, you know, flexibility and you know, weight training and all that other stuff, is laughter, having friends, the social aspect of having friends, laughing, cognitively, this keeps you sharp. And, you know, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but from what I have observed, people who have fun go out, go on trips, uh, go go to the museum, have coffee with their friends, even arguing about politics. This adds to quality of life as well. So it's very, very important to keep those friends close and to keep having fun and keep laughing. Well, my life is all about having fun. I try to have fun as much as possible. And you know me personally beyond yes. this podcast. <laughs> yes, I'm, al I do. I'm always laughing. <laughs> yes, very important. It's very important to quality of life, being happy. Very, very important. Well, on that happy note, I just want to thank you, Sharon Filiar, for being a guest on this podcast. For our listeners out there, please follow Sharon Filiar, her Twitter handle, at Sharon's Fitness. Once again, her Twitter handle, at Sharon's Fitness. This podcast will be available pretty soon. I'm going to tweet it. Sharon's going to retweet it. And Sharon's going to beef up her her. Her Twitter, her Twitter, her Twitter activities. <laughs> yes, I need to do that. I've been so busy, but but this is a topic that I'm so happy that you've given a platform to. Um, I love teaching seniors. They're so inspirational. You know, just talking, hearing the stories. There was a gentleman in my class who actually interviewed Dwight Eisenhower. So mm. these are things that you know you just don't learn in you know in the history books and I didn't know Dwight Eisenhower was about six feet tall you know so so hearing these stories from people who were there in, in addition to having the opportunity to instruct these wonderful wonderful uh, people is really an honor for me and again it's an honor for me to be able to uh, give you this platform to to drop some knowledge and I cannot wait for a, a future podcast of you be my guest. Sharon Filiar. Thanks, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much. At Sharon's Fitness. Before I get out of here, I just want to have a, I just want to give a shout out 
to some podcasters out there that have retweeted my first podcast. I like to call this segment hashtag podcasters retweet shoutouts. Well, first of all, I want to give a shout out to TC Rastani at After Hours TC for retweeting the last podcast. And the next shout out is Nerds with Words at Nerds with Words One. So shout out and thank you for those two podcasters for retweeting my last podcast. And if you two want a podcasters retweet shout out, for all you podcasters out there, if you find the podcast, retweet it, and I will give you a shout out in the very next episode. Once again, thank you to my guest, Sharon Filiar at Sharon's Fitness on Twitter. Find her, follow her. Until next time, just want to say buenas noches, hooches, cooches. I came in peace. I leave with love. This is for the red, the black, and the green. Living cool, calm, and clean. I'm out!